Just one verse from Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, please. And this was given in a time when there was corruption in the earth, violence. Every man's heart was evil all the time. There was judgment coming to the earth. And this was given. Genesis 6, please, and verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? In the middle of all of that, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Our second reading is in the book of Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 22. And it is the very last chapter, the very last verse, verse 21. John writes, when he's writing this, the Lord Jesus is saying, the unjust will be unjust and the filthy will be filthy when he returns. Again, he's coming back, his second coming. There's judgment coming. And in the middle of this, at the end of this chapter, in verse 21, it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So be it, he says. And that's to the believers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And for our third reading, please turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1. And we'll just skip across the chapter through a few verses as a basis of what we will speak on this evening. John chapter 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Let your eye run down to verse 14, please. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I speak. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Notice he was before me. And yet to the flesh, John's at least six months older than him. John's saying he was before me. And then the next verse it says, And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared him. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his own precious and inspired word this evening. Let's pray again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you in his righteousness alone. And we come, Lord, asking, Lord, that you would use me for your glory to lift up and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We pray, Father, for every single one in this place. We thank you, Lord, the place is packed full. But Lord, tonight, Lord, would you speak to the hearts of your children and encourage them? Lord, would you build them up upon their most holy faith? May they see the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. 
We pray, Father, if there's one here who knows not your Son as their own Lord and personal Savior, tonight would they come to saving faith. Maybe one is straight away and backslidden in heart. We pray, Lord, they'd come back tonight, once and for all, kneeling as it were their colors to the mast. We know that you'll receive them with opened arms. And Father, we pray for those that are watching live at this moment in time. Lord, that you would bless them and give them their portion tonight. We thank you for their faithfulness in following the ministry. And for those that will watch later, we pray, Lord, for your hand to be with them, Lord, even to continue to speak when this meeting is over and man's voice is silent. May the Holy Ghost continue to bring forth the word of God into men and women's hearts and make it real and alive, quickened to each and every one of them. So, Father, we pray that you'd glorify your Son and anoint us with your Spirit, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The sovereign God and his tabernacle of grace. The sovereign God and his tabernacle of grace. That's what we want to look at, the Lord willing, this evening. In Genesis 6 and verse 8, we started off with, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then we finished off in Revelation 22 and verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, that's the first mention of the word grace in your Bible. The very first book of the Bible, we have grace. People think grace is a New Testament concept. There's grace the whole way through the word of God. Now, I notice here we find in Genesis 6 and verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, starting in the very beginning of the Bible. And then in Revelation 22, verse 21, which is the last book and the last chapter and the last verse, of course, then, it is the last mention of the word grace in your Bible. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Both are given. One before the flood, the judgment of God because of the wickedness of man, because of their heart, because of all the things that they were doing, because of the corruption, because of the violence, God was going to pour out his wrath upon the earth. And grace was found. Going to look at it in a minute. And then at the end, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told that he'll come in flaming fire taking vengeance on all them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. And so here again, the wickedness of man, as in the days of Noah, so also shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus says. So in the time of judgment to come, in the time when Christ and the second coming will come, we're finding right at the very end of your Bible, the last book, the last chapter, the last verse, what do we find but grace? We're left in grace. And so uh, I don't think there's a, a more beautiful word in all of Scripture, nor in the human language, when we actually get to know what grace is. When you've experienced the grace of God as a believer, a born-again, blood-washed, blood-bought child of God, then you will understand, and as you walk with Him, you will understand further what it means to walk in grace, to live in grace. And grace will be such a beautiful word because of the meaning of what grace is. Every day we feel him. Every day every one of us feels him 
And yet he keeps us going on in his grace. Without his grace, we wouldn't be able to go on. Grace is not a license to sin. But it's an endowment of power to walk with him. That's the difference in grace. I don't think there's a more beautiful word to many. For example, to those of us who are saved, but grace has been put into theological boxes. But in the Bible, we find great grace, and we sing about amazing grace. We hear of irresistible grace. We know it's called sovereign grace, electing grace, and so on and so on. We can put it into all theological boxes. We don't really want to do that too much tonight. We're saved by grace. Notice, we are saved by grace through faith. So we are saved by grace. That is a sovereign act of God. A sovereign act of God. We are kept in grace. That is through the sovereign power of God. We are enabled through grace. It's the sovereign reign of God in our lives. And we will reach heaven. We will reach glory by grace. It's the sovereign will of God for his people. The sovereign will of God. Genesis is the first book. Grace is mentioned. Revelation, the last book, finishes with grace. Notice from Adam right through Christ to the second coming. It's grace, 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 grace. Start to finish. The beginning to the end, it's grace. From Adam's failure right through Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. And right through would come grace personified. Notice this. Right through would come grace to you and I. Notice this. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, the Lord Jesus, the risen, exalted Christ, says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. Listen, the Almighty. Jesus claims himself as the Almighty. And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11, he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Notice this. In the Bible, Genesis, first book, Revelation, there's all the Word. The Word right through. And God tells us in his Word, John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything from Genesis to Revelation. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning, He's the ending, He's the first, He's the last. He who is, which was, and which is to come, He is the Almighty. Everything in our Bible is all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one we serve. That's the one Christian we love. Even Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Looking on to Jesus, notice the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's the first and the last. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning and he's the ending. And he's everything in between. You see, in the Old Testament, he's anticipated. The prophets pointed to him. In the Gospels, he's revealed. The Word was made flesh. In the book of Acts, he's proclaimed. They preached Jesus 
unto them. And in the epistles, he is explained. We have a commentary about him. And in the book of Revelation, he is returning. He's returning to the earth. Notice in the Old Testament, he's God for us. God for us. In the Gospels, the New Test, in the Gospels, he's God with us. God with us. In the epistles of the New Testament, he's God in us. And when he returns, he's going to be God reigning over us. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here we have, if you can want to write it down, you have the Spirit Word. Spirit word. He's spirit. And then when we get to verse 14, and the word was made flesh, we have the flesh word, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have the spirit word, we have the flesh word. And in our Bibles here, that which is given through the divine inspiration of God the Holy Ghost, here we have, he is the written word. He is the written word. Everything centers on the Son of God. Everything revolves around him. Genesis 6 and 8. Notice Genesis 6 and 8. And it tells us, And grace appeared, or Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here we have in Genesis 6 and 8 the word that is the Logos. That is, it's a manifestation of a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's known as a theophany, an angelic appearance, as it were. And we're told here that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here the Word is appearing to man. Here the Word is appearing to man. And yet in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the Word was made flesh. Here the Word is appearing as a man. He's appearing to man. And he's appearing now as a man. God himself appeared. Notice this. Noah found grace. The word is made flesh in John's gospel. And he's full of grace and truth. So when Noah found grace, we're going to look at it. Because it doesn't mean Noah was so righteous he ran looking for it. It's not what it means. When Noah found grace, you know what he found? Christ. Christ. And notice this as well. Through that veil of flesh, the man is divinity. Within that human garment is sovereignty. Behind that earthly frame is eternity. And via the man of flesh and bone is glory. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's the Son of God and He is the Son of Man. Genesis 6 and 8 says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See the word found. You can underline that there and write matzah. The Hebrew word is matzah. This is what it means to come forth 
to appear, to acquire, to meet, to arrive at, or to arrive at, to arrive at. We talked a little about it this morning. And people would say, I found Jesus. Oh, I'm glad I found Jesus. Friend, I have something to tell you. Don't mean to offend you. No, you didn't. Jesus found you. He found you. Right in the mire that you were in. In the dunghill of humanity. In the desperation in society. He found you. He came to you. When you couldn't come to where he was, he came to you. And notice here, Noah found grace. The word found is matzah. And it gives the idea, not that Noah had a, a, such an epiphany that he thought within himself, out of his own mind, will and strength, I will seek God. No, that doesn't mean that. It means that one day, grace or Christ appeared unto Noah. It means he attained to know. Here this man didn't know, but he was in a, in, a, in a world full of sin and debauchery and God was about to pour out his judgment upon it and God shows him, here's the grace, you ready? He, he appears to Noah and the word matzah means he comes to Noah. Noah attains it because he made the first move. You're saved because God made the first move. You love him because he first loved you. And it means here that here he had, uh, the grace appears. The theophany of Christ, pre-Bethlehem, he comes, as it were, and he appears to the man Noah. Build an ark, Noah. There's a judgment coming. Here's the dimensions of it. And if you act, listen, on the word, if you act on the word, what's happened? He was given faith. Faith was imputed to Noah to be able to act upon the word because we're all dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Ah, but Noah was a righteous man, a preacher of righteousness. Let me tell you what that means. Noah just knew that he hasn't to mix with the other around him. That's what that means. doesn't mean he was so good and he was upright and he was like a Jesus-like figure. It means he went about saying, we can't do this. And grace came to Noah and Noah went forth preaching the word of God. There's judgment coming. Get in the ark. We're building an ark. We're building an ark. That ark became, as it were, a tabernacle of refuge. Do you know who the first one was in the ark? Noah? No. His wife? wife? No. Sons and their wives? No. God was the first in. You know what he says? Come thou. <laughs> Come thou and all thine house into the ark. And here's the thing, and the Lord closed the door. You know what it is? He's inside and he's outside at the same time. <laughs> sure, he's in you and he's in me, isn't he, at the same time? And he's in you and he's in you and you and it go all around. And he's in me at the same time. And so here is the spirit word that comes to Noah. Build an ark to the saving of your house. Notice, but Noah found grace. Grace appeared. The word grace is Cain. Cain. This is what it means. Noah found favor. Noah found kindness and goodwill. It appeared to Noah. And the root word for Cain is Canaan. Here's what it means. One bowing down or stooping down in kindness to an inferior. I'm going to say it again. 
one bowing down or stooping down in kindness to an inferior. The sovereign Lord God of heaven and earth, as it were, stepped off his throne and he bowed down and he stood down in kindness to Noah. He appeared to Noah. And I want to tell you something, I don't know the pit you were in, but he made a great stoop to save my soul. He came from heaven's glory. He bowed down and he stood down in kindness to the inferior who was Noah. Hear the word, the Lord, he stoops and he stoops down to tell Noah to build the ark. Know what that is? Sovereign grace. God does not have to show mercy to you or me. God is under no obligation to save anyone, but rather those whom he hath given to his son will come to him. And God said he will save, and so he will. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we think God must be, I'll use the word lucky, the one for another word, to have us. Let us just say we are a privileged, privileged people to have the Lord to come down to save our souls. Privileged indeed. Notice here, John 1 and 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here the the grace or the word is appearing as a man, the logos. It's where we get our word logo from. You have McDonald's is the big yellow arches. You know what it is, don't you? You know when you see that red can with a white stripe up, you know what it is, don't you? It's Coca-Cola. You, you know the logo. We get to know them. Even the, the big companies and their logos and everything that that company is was everything who... And that's what we get that word from. So it's logos was everything whom he is, his father is. And everything whom the Father is, is in him. He is, as it were, the Logos, the personal manifestation, not of a part of divinity or divine nature, but the whole of deity. There's people try to downgrade and demigrate our Lord Jesus to say that he was maybe a demi-God. You know, like one of the Greek gods, so-called gods. He tried to downgrade him as if he's a demi-god. I want to let you know he's not a demi-god. He said, I am the Almighty. He is Almighty God. He has almightiness, robed, wrapped, clothed, and veiled in the flesh body of a man. A perfect man without sin. Notice the sovereign who reigns in heaven, walked as the sun on the earth. Isn't that tremendous? The sovereign who reigns in heaven walked as the sun on the earth. He who created all things, for without him was nothing made that was made. He who created all things and he who rules over all creation now makes the great stoop and he takes a great bow 
And he shows his grace. He condescends down to the creation he sovereignly rules and upholds. Would you imagine this? Try and, try and grasp this. The great eternal spirit, the great God, the I am of glory. He's seen you. He's seen me in our, in our flesh, in our depravity, total depravity. And he's seen us without any hope or without any help. And he knew us before we were born. And he gave us to his son. Before there was a sinner on the earth in Adam, there was a saviour in heaven and Christ. Notice here, he who took the great step, the great stoop, humbles himself to walk as a man among men, flesh and blood kinsman he comes as, partaking in the likeness of sinful flesh. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 16 says, He took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And listen, Isaiah 11 and verse 10 says, He's from the root of Jesse. We're told again, he's from the house of David, of the tribe of Judah. Here God is coming down through time. Here he comes the whole way down in his plan and his purpose, calling Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees. Isaac, Jacob and his 12 sons. And then through his sons, through one of the tribes called Judah, here springs forth the lion. He's the one that would come to redeem us. You're not an afterthought of God, believer. You're not just by whimsical a glance of God to think maybe he will or maybe he won't. You aren't saved because of your decision, your choice, or your own willpower. Because you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, you're saved by a sovereign act from the sovereign will and a sovereign move of a sovereign God. He came himself. Notice. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the word, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Rotten sinners... Lawbreakers, broken God's law, condemned and ready for judgment. And yet he came and showed grace. Yet he came and took the great stoop from heaven's glory and took upon him the form of a man. And there he became one of us that we might be raised up to where he was, that we might be with him. Philippians 2 and verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Notice, even the death of the cross. Why does Paul put that there? Do you ever think of that? He humbled himself, became obedient unto death. That's enough, Paul, is it not? No, he, he tells us of his death, the type of death, the sort of death, the manner of his death, even the death of the cross. Notice, even the death of the cross. Paul is emphasizing to note that the one who died for us is the one who came and humbled himself from heaven's glory and he went to the death, even the death of the cross. 
What he's saying is, the manner of his death, the pitiful state that he was in on his, uh, uh, during his death, as he hung and bled and died, the blood that he shed and the, the marks that he bore, and the whippings and the lashings and the beatings and the mockings and the scorning and the scourging. And he's saying this, this death was for the accursed. It's for the outcast of the pain. No one ever, ever wanted to be crucified because of the pain and the torture and the shame of it and the agony of it. Because everyone that was crucified were the lowest of the low and the vile of the vilest. They were the vilest men and women contemptible in society. And Paul puts it at the end, even even unto death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. What a stoop. You think it's a great stoop for him to come to save you? He walked as a man on the earth. What a stoop from heaven's glory with the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim worshipping him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory to come down to walk as a man. But that's not where it finished. He went to the cross. Even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross thought about this when I was writing it on Friday. Even the death of the cross. In Robertson's Greek, listen to what he says. Just one simple line about this. He says, even the death of the cross is the bottom rung in the ladder from the throne of God. Think about this. The bottom rung in the ladder from the throne of God. You know what he's saying? You can't get any lower. You can't get any lower. You can't go any more further down. It's even the death of the cross, the vilest of the vile, the greatest of sinners, the contemptible and the hated were crucified. They were accursed of God. He just didn't come and walk as a man. He went even to the death of the cross. And they took him down of the cross and they laid him in a tomb. They sealed it with a stone. He's finished. That's him done. It's over. Three days later. Brothers and sisters, three days later. On the third day, up from the grave, (laughs) he arose. With a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Would you praise him tonight church? Isn't he worthy of the praise? Give him glory tonight. Hallelujah. He's worthy of the praise. He's worthy. Notice. The bottom rung in the ladder from the throne of God. That hit me. I went, wow. Robertson, you've got this. That's wow. Adam Clark, listen to what he said. What must sin have been in the sight of God 
when it required such abasement in Jesus Christ to make an atonement for it and undo its influence on malignity. Looking at this, he says, what must our sin have been like? What must the sin have been like when it took that to save our souls? Here's something to think about. And there are people in sincere, but sincerely wrong, trying to work their way to heaven, trying to earn their way, trying to have ritual to get there, to show reverence and respect. And I understand, dear, bless them their heart. I know that. There are people who think it's good works and charities or being a good person. And listen, when we think about that, we understand why people think their most most precious loved ones should be there because they were good to them. And we understand that. Friend, I want to tell you something. It's, it's It's not about what we do. It's what he's done. And you see, if we could work our way, if we could earn our way, if we could pay our way, if we could ritualize our way, if we could church our way into the kingdom of God, if we could be saved any other way, then Christ need not have died. Then Christ need not have died. He need not have come all the way. I went to the death, even the death of the cross. You get the import of it. This is what your father has done. Do you sense his love for you? John tells us in John 1 and 14 that he, the word was made flesh and that he was full of grace and truth. In verse 16 it says, And of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. And it really gives the idea of grace keeps abounding over our sin. Paul tells us that. The end of Romans chapter 5, coming into Romans chapter 6, then he says, Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? Just in case people think grace is greasy grace, slippy grace. You know, it's grace that they can live with forever and live how they like without living a holiness of life. And Paul actually answers it. Should we continue in sin while that grace may abound? And he says, God forbid. Let it never. And all Ed said one translation. And of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. Maybe you've failed the Lord tonight. Here's something for you. Maybe you've failed the Lord. And you'll say, never forgive me. I could never come back. I've done too much. I've went too far. Listen, I want you to know there's nothing you've done that God can't forgive when you repent of it and come back. You've never went too far because you're here tonight and your father has you listen because he loves you. Listen, here's grace for grace. Here's an idea of it. So you go down to get on. Let's go to the London Underground and you get up and there's the train going underground and, and you get up to it and as you get up to it, whoosh, away it goes. You miss it. And you're thinking we have to wait to the next one. That's like grace. You feel I've missed it. But grace for grace is like this. As soon as the back of that one is, there's the front of the next one. Get on the next train. Do you get what I mean? I've let you down. I feel I've went too far. You feel like grace has gone. No, it hasn't. As soon as you turn, there's the next one. Get on the next train. 
grace enables and empowers us to go on with Christ in the midst of our failures. Notice verse 17, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law given by Moses, that law that says you're guilty, that law that says you're guilty and condemns you, the law that says you're a murderer at heart, the law that says that you're a thief and a robber and adulterer, the law that keeps uh, telling us who we are, that looks us in the face and it, it gives us the truth. It's not lying to us, it gives us the truth. The law of the Lord is perfect. Nothing wrong with the law. It's perfect. Something wrong with us. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And here the law came by Moses. You're guilty, you're guilty. And we needed grace. We needed grace. And so grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now let's look at verse 14 in John 1, please. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Would you say dwelt? Would you say it one more time? Dwelt among us. See the word dwelt there? It means the Word came and tabernacled. Tabernacled among us. One writer said it means God came and pitched his tent. God pitched his tent in the person of his son. God pitched his tent in the man Christ Jesus. He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. Now here, John is alluding to the tabernacle in the Old Testament. He's alluding to it. and He's alluding then from the tabernacle in the Old to the temple in Jerusalem. God came and pitched his tent, tabernacled among us. God came and dwelt among men. Notice, here's some things I want you to notice. The first of all, the tabernacle was where God met Israel. The tabernacle is where God met Israel. He said to Moses, I will meet you there and speak unto you there. Nowhere else. Nowhere else in the whole wide world. Think about it. Nowhere else. I'll meet you in the, in the wilderness. A tent of probably badger skins. I'll meet you there. Speak with you there. And if you want to meet God, there's nowhere else in this world, nor heaven, nor earth, then you can meet God that in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be saved or forgiven of your sins, You can only be saved and forgiven of your sins in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to meet God, you meet him in Christ. So the tabernacle was where God met with Israel. Secondly, the tabernacle was where the law of Moses was kept. Here's the condemnation. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. This wasn't a tabernacle of condemnation. It was a tabernacle of grace. Because when the high priest went in with the blood of the lamb and he sprinkled on the, the mercy seat and the glory of God came down, the, the law of Moses broken and in the, in the Ark of the Covenant, it looks at us and says, guilty, 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 under condemnation through the blood, the mercy seat, there's grace comes. The tabernacle of grace meant that they weren't condemned 
for their sins. God's tabernacle was in the wilderness. Here's another thing for you. The tabernacle was a place of revelation. There the glory came down. There the glory of God. There they came to know God there. The glory of God came down. Now think of this. Christ came and tabernacled among men, dwelt among men. God pitched his tent among men. And where do we find revelation of the Father? In Christ. That's where we find it. And notice, the tabernacle was where the blood was shed. Whose blood was shed for you? The blood of Christ. Where was the blood applied? There to my heart was the blood applied. At Calvary. And the tabernacle was the center of Israel's worship. It's where they gathered to worship Yahweh. Where will we gather to worship Yahweh? In the tabernacle of God. What's that? In the person of Christ. In the person of Christ. God, the sovereign God, pitched his tent. He tabernacled among men. He dwelt in the flesh. And he has shown in Christ his sovereign grace. The word grace here is the word charis. Charis. Here's what it means. The merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in the faith. Here we're told that Kara says, God coming and influencing the heart of man, the heart of woman. Notice, grace appeared unto Noah. It influenced Noah. God came down and influenced Noah. Here we're told, that word comes to us in Christ and turns us again, turns the heart of man to God. There was a, a reading I read a while back on grace years ago. I've said it here before, I'm going to say it again. Here's what it means, Charis. The divine influence upon one's heart and its reflection in one's life. It's not mighty. The divine influence upon one's heart and its reflection in one's life. You know what grace does? It influences your heart. Grace influences you to turn you to Christ for salvation, influences you to walk with Christ in your salvation, and influences you to serve Christ. Grace shows a reflection in the life. The man and the woman who have truly come to know Christ and his grace, it will show in their lives. Grace is abstract. If you're wondering, abstract is simply put, something without material existence or form. 
That's the simplicity of it. Something without material uh, or bodily form. It could even be. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The theophany disappeared. Disappeared. So it was, it's not touchable and tangible. It hasn't got a physical shape. It's like abstract. Love is abstract. You know, the sister and your husband tells you all the time, hey, you know I love you. You know I love you. And you go, well, why should you show me it? You know why? Because they can't, you, you can't understand if they love you or not unless us and our human bodies with our real bodies, we show you gestures and gifts and whatever else. And if you're going to buy the, the, the graveyard tonight, brother, get a bunch of flowers and away, pass and give them to him when you get home. I am joking now. <laughs> and we, you, show, you show love. You see, it's abstract. It can mean anything. Salvation. What's salvation? It's abstract. Oh yeah, you need to feel it. You need to experience it. You need to know it. You need to have it. It must be yours and personally yours. You see, it's abstract because we can't tell you. We can only show you what it's like in our lives. And even that we fall far short, it's abstract. But when it comes to looking for a material existence or bodily form, mercy, abstract. Grace is abstract. Love is abstract. Salvation is abstract. And what do we find? It takes on a bodily shape, material existence. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's abstract to us. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. God pitched His tent. Tent of grace. Jesus is God's tent of grace. A few minutes and I'm closing. Grace has been described as the property and a thing which causes it to give joy to the hearer or to the beholder. So, you're weary in work. Last year, begin of last year sometime, no, before summer, it's been beginning of summer, Alice and I and the girls went away and we were in Spain. In fact, we walked along one night, and Alice and I went out for a walk. And we walked. I just use the ladies. We like to see if it was a nice hotel or not. We walked in. And Alice says, "I just use the ladies here." And lo and behold, we went in. We came out again. Not, but then we didn't go in the ladies. I mean, she went in the ladies. I have to watch myself there. We went in the hotel, and when we we're coming out again, I seen this happy, smiley face. It was Dave and Victoria and the kids. We're staying in that hotel. We sat and had a chat for a while. We didn't know that, by the way. Sat and had a chat for a while. But Dave, I can tell you, you know, you were, you know, things of life, work, <sighs> having to come here and drum. But that night I saw you. <sighs> I was like, I'm on holiday, you know. <laughs> I'm on holiday. You know the first time when you get away and you remember you feel that sun in your face? 
Do you know when you hear the wave just moving or maybe the, the glistening of the, of the sea and the, that cool breeze is cooling you down in the heat and you realise there's no work for a week or two and suddenly you go... <sighs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's charis. That's where it comes from. That's what the Greeks used for it. You used to hear the poets and the philosophers in the streets of Athens and they used to stand and used to learn something from it. It was free. You know when you're standing and you're... <sighs> Fantastic. That moment is free. Yes, you've paid for your holiday, but that moment is free. That's chorus. Do you see when a man and a woman truly know the salvation of Christ? Do you see the, the salvation that he brings to the heart and to the life? Do you see the, 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 the knowledge of your sins forgiven? Do you see whenever you realize that nailed to the cross I shall bear it no more as we sang earlier on, my sin not in part but the whole? See whenever we realize that and, and suddenly the, the nearness and the joy and the love of Christ is, is so close to us. Oh Lord, you know, it's, it's the caress. It's the grace of God. In Christ. That's what's in Christ. He's full of grace. Here's my last points. Ready? We have irresistible grace. I'm not going to do a whole teaching on it because time's up. Listen to what Jesus says, John 6 37 onward. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Notice, all that the Father give to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, safe and secure, but should raise it up at the last day. You know what Jesus was saying? Those whom the Father gives me, they'll come. Here's saving grace. Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Saving grace. For by grace are you saved. God came and stepped into your situation. Here's electing grace. 2 Timothy 1 and 19. Speaking of God who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. He saved us. He called us with an holy calling, not according to our works. The word according is kata, the dominance, the pressing down of our works, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. The kata of God is the, his own purpose, his own dominance. God came and irresistibly drew the man and woman that he awakened from their sleep of death. He drew them into salvation. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the word began. See the word purpose is the word prothesis. A setting forth of a thing. This is what I'm finishing with you ready. It's a setting forth of a thing. It's given as the idea was when Israel came to the temple or the tabernacle to worship, one of the things they had out was 12 loaves of bread. One for each tribe. It's called the Lamech. 
the Lamach. And it really gives the idea, the meaning of it is the face. It gives the idea of the face, or that which will look. The bread's looking up, it's an offering to God for the twelve tribes of Israel. The bread before God here is it's like faces looking up. Here is the purpose. This is the purpose bread. Laid out in purpose. It means a setting forth of a thing and placing it in view. Here they set it out. Piled it out. Twelve loaves of bread. The Lamach was set out in view of God. This is who we are, Lord. Like our faces are looking to you. Purpose of God was He seen down through time from eternity past Adam, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through all the prophets. He went to Christ, sent His Son who died for us, for Him. Until the day and hour He found you. You were set out before Him like the bread in a tabernacle. Jesus came as a man and took our place. He says, I am the bread of life. Notice Revelation 22 and 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the enabling influence it means. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you tonight. I'm hoping that you're learning on these things because I understand there's filled with believers and I'm hoping you are, are hearing and learning you are being built up in your faith but you know take it offline or, or, or share it online that others will hear it or do so get a CD if you want or whatever you need to do but go over it again get your Bible out if you have time during the week and learn these things it'll help you in your faith it'll strengthen you in the faith the Lord bless you all team would you come up